2: Hello, and welcome to Everyday Connection now, with your hosts, Gene Victoria Norlock and Rico Shields, bringing your inner life to your everyday life. Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Everyday Connection Now. I am, yet again, Rick O'Shields, and far to the north, yonder, over, where, hello, there ought to be an echo, Jean Victoria Norlock, How are you, Jean?
3: I'm good, Rick. I'm good.
2: If I can figure out how to make I an am... echo happen on the taping, I'll do that one time I'll go, hello, 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 Jean. <laughs>
3: Audacity should be able to help you out with that. I'm sure if you uh, play There's with it a way. little bit, you should. Absolutely.
2: Absolutely.
3: Absolutely. That's what those audio uh, programs are for.
2: To be thingy. able to
3: manipulate audio. Yeah. Yeah. Really? But why not?
2: Well, if that's the case, I bet those video programs are out there just to manipulate video. Oh. You think? But I digress. <laughs> um.
3: So I thought I'd do a little shameless self-promotion tonight before we uh, launch into the show. I figured oh, the video's got to come out soon of uh, the studio concept. It's, we're soon getting to the point where we could start uh, launching our first money-raising campaign. So I thought I'd talk again about what the studio is, the concept of it, how it came about, because that's quite a miracle in and of itself. And... Um, then we'll talk to our guest, I guess.
2: Well, good to me. Certainly the talk to our guest good part, because that's the point, I think, sort of.
3: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Um, which is in part, part and parcel why I want to, to do this studio. I've had so much fun doing the show, um, Everyday Connection, over the last two and a half to three years. We're almost at the three-year mark. How crazy is that? Oh, my goodness.
4: Um,
3: that it, it's, it's fascinating to me to be able to talk to people from around the world who come from this artistic um, side of self. And I would love to be able to share my space with them as well. For our new listeners, I was gifted this year with, with such a blessing. Um, we have inherited, more or less, the family home, which is a beautiful house in the middle of the Wrench Mountains with about five acres of bush. Uh, Grandpa built it with his own two hands, and my, my husband's grandpa built it with his own two hands. It was built out of two other houses, so the entire structure is literally recycled. Even, even a lot of the nails that have been used have been rehammered straight and then reused. Waste not, want not, I believe was the, um, the order of the day uh, back about 30 years ago. So I, it's, I, I already live in a, a house that's, you know, <laughs> eco-friendly, <laughs> so to speak. So we have this amazing house and this amazing property. And well, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? I've written three books in three years. Great. Got my health back after writing the third book flat on my back. Great. (laughs) Given this amazing house. Great. What am I going to do with it? So as part of this structure, there is a garage that is um, semi-attached to the house and it has this beautiful upper level with this big open mezzanine. Uh, It's got floor-to-ceiling windows on one side. Uh, It's got a small deck already structured. We're going to expand the deck. And the idea is is to take this property and turn it into an eco-sustainable retreat for artists. The concept coming from the fact that Had I had the opportunity, had I had the space, had I had the time 10 years ago, maybe I would have started writing then. I didn't. And so now I have the space and I'd like to share it. So our vision is to enlist the help of a good friend of ours who's an eco-sustainable architecture and to, with his help, design a place that will include a couple of greenhouses so that Artists who are coming here who would like to have fresh fruits and vegetables have access to them right here. To build the garage, remodel it, restructure it, and make it self-sustainable so that it's self-powered. We'd like to use solar paneling. We'd like to recycle. You know, we'd like to have a gray gray water recycling system inside the building. And we'd like to fund this with public donations, public labor, public assistance. With the idea being that when it's built, it will be a safe haven for artists to come and they can come and stay for a week, a month, whatever, pay what they think their stay is worth. If they use things like internet, of course, you know, you'll have to pay for that. But if the building can be built in the way that we're envisioning it to be built, they won't have to pay for the use of power. They won't have to pay for water. They won't have to pay for cleaning and stuff because we're going to have it set up so that it's a self-sustaining system. Basically, you you have your own kitchen, you have your own bathroom, you have your room, There will be an actual art studio in there with supplies that have been provided through the donations of artists. I'm hoping eventually to have a a space where we can do some music recording. Uh, So that's, that's the vision. Now we have the building, we have the property, and we are almost ready to launch the beginnings of the campaign. And the beginnings of the campaign are going to entail... You know the expenses of enlisting our architects' friends help because I, I strongly believe that people should be paid for the work that they do. I don't expect people to come in here, like a, a well-known architect, to come in here design the whole thing for free. I don't think that's fair. The man should get paid for his work. So I am hoping within the month to launch the first campaign, and that will be. To pay for getting the business registered, to pay for getting our architect down here and getting him to draw up the plans, um, to, to pay for any of the legal costs that we're going to have with regards to launching this as an actual, we're doing it, it's happening, adventure. Um, and I'm super excited. So that's, that's it. I just wanted to share wow. and let you guys and know that it is coming.
2: And 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 part of it, you know, uh, I don't want to. I want to kind of magnify the uh, donated labor and that sort of thing is more than welcome. Um, but there are some things Absolutely. that you just have to have a few dollars for, like solar panels and 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 things like that. But of course, yeah. you know, it it, it you, you could just buy a pickup truck and have doors in the back, but um, that works too. <laughs> However, you guys want to want to be able to help, you know. You send George with, you know, a care package and you know, of recycled goods, whatever. Uh, but I think it's gonna be a fantastic. Fantastic place and, and uh well, come on man, you got your you got your space, your your private space and then you got access to the greenhouse where you go out and get foods and you know. Wow. And Jean is there. And 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 Molly. <laughs>
3: Absolutely. And um, it, it's just, it, it kind of came from how lucky am I to be an artist and a writer who was gifted with this amazing home to live in and to create in. And I just want to be able to share that with people. So that's, I, I wow. guess that's what it is. I, I want to be able to share what I've been gifted with and, well, and take that to the next level.
2: It's like And expand
3: I'm, on on grandpa's vision of, of what this home would be
2: yeah i I'm um, don't know that we've mentioned on the show before. I'm looking at possibly being in a different place in Costa Rica and if that move happens, um, there's two bedrooms there, and I would be there for four months, maybe five four and a half um, and um, so it's my intention there's a number of folks that have expressed to me both in private messages and on my wall that you know gee I wish I could go to Costa Rica but a couple in private messages who have thought about it more than just you know oh that'd be cool you know which I I think that often but that doesn't mean I'm thinking about going there (laughs) and um uh but to be able to offer it it would be a second a second bedroom with a second bath so you'd have a bed and a bath uh and and then of course it's just an apartment so it Kitchen and living room and stuff is shared and not gigantic, but uh, about a block and a half, two blocks well, I don't know there's not streets, so it's just have to guess I, guessing it for people, I would call it four blocks from the beach and um to make it available for what it cost me, which would be fifteen bucks a day and um and I can assure you, you can't come to Hako costa rica and stay for 15 dollars a night it's just not happening um <laughs> uh, and um uh, uh, because i i know i have one friend that wants to come down and go fishing and there's another uh lady from up in canada actually that uh has just like she really wants to come to costa rica and um uh, she's a bit of a permaculture specialist, so she said, do you think there's a – and I said, yes. <laughs> you don't have to finish getting it out. Yes, there's definitely all kinds of spaces for somebody like that down here. But it's good to have a place so you know that you can come and you're going to have a bed and it's going to be clean and it's going to be safe and secure and blah, 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 than you know, doing like me and just running off to the jungle and not knowing where the hell you're going. Although it seems to work out okay for me. That's <clears> – <throat>
3: That's, that's kind of why Jordan's visit here solidified it for me. I was able to talk to Jordan's parents. Um, and for me to be at this age and at this stage of my life and to be able to provide a safe haven for young artists, especially young musicians, young writers, it's very challenging for young musicians, young writers, young creators of any kind to find the time to just focus on getting a book out or getting out a record. Do you know what I mean? To to remove themselves and engross themselves into that creative energy for an extended period of time without having to worry about all the hustle and bustle of, of everyday life. So that's kind of what the vision is all about is that I'm a mom. I have my own teenage daughter. I now have another teenager living in the house, um, my stepdaughter. And so – I want to provide that for young artists. Of course, there's no age limit on this, but that's kind of my drive is that I'd like to be able to provide a safe, secure location for young artists to go where they can not have to pay a lot of money just to survive and lose themselves in the creative process.
2: After you've got a couple of bestsellers, then you can fly to Maui to write your next book. But but it's hard to do that.
3: Not so much
2: when you're you're working on your first novel. And yeah. and uh, <clears throat> I know that you worked on your first novel. You had some lovely angels that you know appeared around that you know kept you fed on mangoes and things and kept you from keeling over because you were so busy writing that you forgot it was time to eat or sleep or you know. But um, that's not always the case necessarily. Everywhere you go, I, 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 I suppose if the intentions there that people will show up, but it, it, it this place. You know the Laurentians, the quartz that your your water percolates through quor- quartz, and then you drink it. So it's like you don't have to quartz yes. crystal charge your water; it comes that way. <laughs> it's like here we, <laughs> it we we have mountains. It
3: comes, it comes out of the ground. Charged. We drink only yeah, drink absolutely. only
2: mountain spring water here in uh, this part of Costa Rica, and it's not because we go by it, but because it comes out of the tap. And um, uh, but. But
3: we should digress because that's really enough of our shameless self-promotion. But that's the vision. Keep your eyes out for the videos. I will be launching a campaign soon, and there will be introductory videos, pictures of the property, pictures of the current art studio that's now up and running that was newly renovated, and then pictures of the space that we're going to be renovating. So keep your eyes open for it. It's coming.
2: Awesome. Soon to a town near you. (laughs) Or not from there, depending on where you live. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, we should. We do have uh, a guest that's been kind enough to join us, and here we are just rattling on as if they aren't here. That's always (laughs) silly. But we do it every show. Uh, We try to keep it under 12 minutes, and we're right about 13 right now, I think. So, uh, perfect.
3: Pushing the patience test.
2: But we have with us tonight author Jan Krauss green Welcome, Jen. How are you?
1: Well, um, I'm actually great, although um, I do have a cold, which you may be hearing in my voice right now. But other than that, I am wonderful and happy to be here.
2: Awesome. Sorry, I I I was hearing my throat a lot. I make Jean show up when she has a cold, and and we just, you know, she has to just deal with it because I make her show up.
1: (laughs) All right? right. Well, that's about what's going to happen. She's
2: over there okay. laughing because she's like, you, you couldn't make me do anything. But
3: <clears throat> Slave driver, or he thinks he is. So, Jan, we'll get right down to it so um, we, can, we can get going. I just okay. have one question, really, which is actually kind of two questions, but it's one question. Who on earth are you and what do you do?
1: Well, now I didn't understand the first part of the question who what who on earth are you, and what do you do? So who on earth am I, and what do I do? Well, you know it's funny my my novel is called "I call myself Earth Girl," which I don't actually call myself, although I'm starting to book is fiction, so what do i do i I have done just about everything. I'm 65 years old. I have been a mother, a grandmother, married, divorced, a single mother, remarried, a high school teacher, I worked in a bakery, I've been a house cleaner. I basically have done anything and everything that fit into my goal to be a good mom and keep my family together and have some fun doing it and not have to compromise my values. So... My kids used to joke that I'd had more different jobs than anyone they ever knew. (laughs) But always there has been, sort of at the core of things, I was an English teacher for years, always been a writer in my heart. And I have to say that when I listened to you saying about if somebody had been there when you were younger and you could have had the time, I didn't write my first novel until, well, let's put it this way. The book and my Medicare card came out right about the same time. And yet, in my head, (laughs) in my head, I've been a novelist since I was about 10 years old. But finally finding the time and having the money to just be able to do it was a whole different thing. So, I don't know if that... Well, it It, is important, you know, for me. For me if there had been a time where I thought, Okay, I have the time to do this and I don't have to worry about the money or I don't have to worry about all of the various people, I've been I'm sort of a caretaker in my life. So I've had my kids, I take care of my mom now, she's ninety eight and lives with us, take care of my couple of my grandkids on a part time basis. And when my kids were in high school I was the one who always had the kid who got kicked out of their house or who, you know, didn't have – whose parents went to jail. I always had somebody there because that's just sort of the way I am, I guess. The more the merrier.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And do you know what my thinking is? As a mom who grew up in a house where my parents were you, <laughs> basically oh really <laughs> um here's yeah here's a couch uh, any wayward souls that need a place on it we can accommodate that um you know that's kind of my parents had an open door policy for the youth in the area and that was just how they lived their lives I, my dad even had a beer fridge right near his front door where he kept beer and pop and you just didn't come in the front door without stopping by the fridge and grabbing yourself a drink that's how he lived he kept that fridge stopped
1: forget, well, now, and it was my kids on your way. my kids and their friends would have absolutely loved your father I um he, he lived in he lived he, in the house is, that I raised my kids in for 28 years I don't think I ever once locked the door so um and that, that, that's that's
3: it and he instilled in me this great sense of if I have it I'm going to share it and so as as a kid who grew up in a house where there were you know, all the wayward souls and if your family life is not so good, here's a space. You can be safe here for a little while. I want to provide that too. And maybe we can get to them before they become the wayward souls. I think that if more young people had that outlet for creativity and that space to create, and it is – growing at, at an extraordinary rate the the focus on the arts now in the mainstream is just astounding to me and I love the support that our young people are getting but I want to be part of that I want to be one of those people who says come on in and hang your hat for a little while
1: right here's a place where you can be supported emotionally and be free to be your creative self I, I think that's beautiful. I I love the idea of what you want to do. And I hope that you might have room for some people who aren't so young, but maybe young at heart, because I'm a, not a young person anymore, but I'm still a, very much a creative person. I've only written this one book, and I have a bunch of them floating around in my head waiting to be waiting to find a paper.
2: Oh, yeah, no, no age limit okay. applies on both ends.
1: <laughs>
3: I'm really excited about the fact that you had this within you for so long and you took that life journey and you did all the things that you felt you needed to do and did them successfully obviously or else you wouldn't have finally sat down to write that book because if you didn't feel that you had successfully completed your your other roles in life then you probably wouldn't have written the book so I'm excited about what prompted you to finally put pen to paper, my dear, because that's an extraordinary accomplishment after having lived an almost full life.
1: You know, I think it was, yeah, I I think for me it was partially when I turned 60, I thought, okay, I have always thought of myself as a writer. And I did have a newspaper column for about 10 years that was um, like a weekly column. When I was raising my kids, it was sort of a term Bombay family life column, humorous. But always in my head, I knew that I wanted to be a novelist. And I think when I got to be 60, it was kind of like, wow, if, if not now, when? And my kids are grown up. You know, I, I was a single parent for a long time, and they were grown up, have gone to college, married. Some are married, some are not. Some have had kids, some haven't. But they were... I felt like I had launched them, was still a big part of their life, but they were on their own. And uh, even though I had my mom with me, I knew I could kind of work around that. And actually for me, the writing process is to get away and be able to immerse myself in it for, you know, like all day, every day for a concentrated period of time. So I was able to go away for a month in November of 2010. Uh, not a month, a week, a week in November of 2010. And I pretty much wrote the first half of the book. And then I got the same opportunity for a week in November of 2011, and I finished the book. And then um, the next year, all during 2012, in bits and pieces, I was doing revisions and looking for a publisher. But that getting the story out, telling the story, I did very intensely in a period of two weeks, but that was separated by two years.
3: See, and people thought I was crazy when I told them I did that. They asked me about my first novel. They asked me how long it took, and I say it took three weeks to write it. But that's because it was three weeks of pure writing. That's all I did for three weeks. I went and I spoke to people and I
1: wrote. People have said to me, well, if I could write a novel in two weeks, I would have written you know 50 of them. But it's it's not like I sat down for an hour a day for two weeks. I was, you know, writing constantly. And yeah. for me, that works because... That's it, the
3: it, passion the, of the writer. It, it really
1: flows, yeah.
3: You you have to lose yourself those, in the
1: craft. And and during those days, you know, it would be like 7 o'clock in the morning and then it would be 6 o'clock at night, and I would feel like I'd been sitting there for an hour or two. I'd, you know, it just the time was just uh, totally, uh, I felt no time, I guess is what I'm trying to say, sort of just in that flow where you're very connected and it just comes. That's so so awesome. uh,
3: So awesome to hear you say that.
1: For me, it was really sort of a transformational experience because I've always loved to write and I've always written but never written a novel mostly never even written much fiction and so to be able to have that time and space and peace to just let it come and then I would feel so excited and exhilarated by it I wasn't exhausted at the end of the day I was like oh wow yeah I felt great <laughs> it was I go to bed at night and hardly could want to sleep because I wanted to wake up the next morning and start again Love so, it. I, I love it. it. Told me. Yeah. I think it told me I was doing what I was supposed to be doing.
3: Absolutely. And that's a writer. That's, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, it's not something you can't go to school and take some creative writing courses and become a writer. You're either. And I, I strongly believe this with any art. And, and this is like, and when I speak about art, I speak even in terms of electronics, mechanics, When you're really impassioned about something, that's the core of who you are. And life is just not life until you can explore that to its absolute fullest potential. And I get so excited when I hear people come on the show and say, yeah, I turned off life for a week. I turned off life for a week and I dove into this book and this is what came out. That to me is writing. That's passion, yeah, well for that's me, purpose.
1: Yeah, and it also, when you do it that way, and I can't really speak to doing it the other way because I've never done it the other way, but when you do it with that concentrated intensity, for me at least, what developed in the story, I really felt like I was being sort of um, inspired. I was like, the book was taking on a life of its own and I was just following it wherever it was going to go. And once in a while I'd say, Oh, I need to change that. But mostly, it was a story that was telling itself, and I was, you know, it sounds so corny, but I was the vessel, or I was just, you know, there transcribing You It was just a
2: pen. Yeah. Jane right, often refers exactly. to herself as a pen.
1: Right, and that's, that's exactly the way it felt. So, it's funny, though, if I think back to the year before I started writing it, I was feeling, my father had died, I'd been taking care of him, he had Alzheimer's, and my mom was living with me and she has dementia and it was just, I was feeling pretty depressed and uh, my husband took me to New York City for a weekend and we were just kind of wandering around in the, um, there's an area where there's a lot of art galleries that aren't galleries, they're like studios and warehouses and sort of the people who are not really famous yet but they're doing great work. And we were in one of these warehouses and we were just kind of looking at, you know, different paintings and we were the only people there and the proprietor was showing us stuff that he hadn't put out yet, but that he had, you know, in a back room ready to put up. And there was this one enormous painting on the wall that he he wasn't even pointing out to us. And when I turned around and saw this painting, it, it took up, you know, most, of the the length of the wall, very vivid colors. I just looked at it, and tears started pouring out. And I said to my husband, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And he looked at me, and he said, are you crying? And I said, yes. And then the proprietor said, oh, my gosh, what a reaction to this painting. And I said, I can't even explain a thing about this painting that makes me so happy. And I had really been fairly depressed up to that point. And that depression just went away, and I felt energized and, and like, okay, I can go ahead and do whatever I'm going to do. It was a very strange experience for me. And I found out who the um, the artist was, found him on Facebook, sent him a message on Facebook telling him what my reaction to the painting was, and he said there couldn't be anything more gratifying to an artist than to know that their piece of artwork elicited that response from somebody but it, it truly just snapped me right out of this funk I
3: was in. Wasn't that why we do it? I mean, yes, of course, on every level we create first for ourselves because we're driven to create. We have to create. If we don't, we die inside, and and mm-hmm. that's that's art. But every artist desires for that either joy or pain, Because we express both through our art, that joy and that pain and that exhilaration and that inspiration to shine through our work and to inspire others, to elicit emotion, to bring forth that within the people who are witnessing our art, reading our books, to bring it out of them so that they can face it. And... and, that is a, a beautiful story because it it is a pure representation of what art represents to so many of us who create, and that is our way and ability to connect with our fellow human beings.
1: Right, and that this is the amazing thing was looking at that painting and just feeling this intense connection with the person who created it without having any idea anything who the person was. And since I've started getting, you know, my book hasn't been out that long, but I've gotten a few letters from people, mostly emails, not letters, um, from women. I have a scene in the book, which is not a major part of the story, but there is a rape scene in it. And I've heard from women who have been raped who have said, you know, I can't explain why, but this is helping me with that experience. And I, the book is all fiction. It's not written in any sort of therapeutic, you know, this is anything like that. It's just the experience of the character. But to know that it's helping people or that it's striking a chord in them, well, yeah, you know, it feels very satisfying.
3: And it should because we, we think in terms of, when we think in terms of people who have suffered abuse or um, who have managed to survive things like rape, or even the loss of family members, we think of the people who can help them as being people like Eckhart Tolle or Neil Donald Walsh who write about these social and spiritual issues and they write about it in order to touch people. But when you can take somebody who writes a fiction And they can write it in such a human way that people can read it. And actually, Rick and I were just talking about one of my favorite authors of all time, my my favorite author of all time right before the show. And his talent was pulling people into the story. It was involving the reader in the story making an emotional connection between the characters of the story and the person reading the story, whoever the story reader happens to be. And when you can do that as a fiction writer, that's being at the top of your game, so to speak. You can't get better than that, my dear. That is, I mean, that's a beautiful, 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 magical gift that you have. And I'm so glad that you're sharing it now after how many years have not, but I can't wait to see what you come up with next. <laughs> it's exciting. So i you tell us a little to see bit? that too. <laughs> I bet. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and where the idea came from and how it got started? Because I'm well, intrigued now. If this fiction is helping people, I'm, I'm really intrigued as to how that's come about. Well,
1: it's, I told you the name of the book is I Call Myself Earth Girl. And it started actually probably three or four years before I actually sat down for those weeks that I described. I did sit down at my computer one day. Actually, it was not too long after my father had died, and I thought, you know, I've always wanted to be a novelist. I want to write fiction. All of the writing that I had done, up to that point, was more like either personal narrative, memoir, or academic stuff. I had been an English teacher, and I had been a grant writer, and so that whole kind of thing. And so I thought, I just want to sit down and just write some fiction. And this story, I was, again, it was like I was being told the story. And what came into my head was this sentence that had been sort of rummaging around in my brain for a couple of weeks. And it was, uh, I call myself Earth Girl. Because I chose to live on Earth even though my celestial life was one of peace and beauty. And uh, she talked about how she wanted to be grounded in a place and time. And then the story of Earth Girl, she, she's narrating it and she's talking about what happened to her family. And you begin to realize she's living through a war, but you don't know where or when don't know any details about any of it except that it's a pretty bad time. And she talks about her father being taken away by the militia, her mother being raped, her brother disappearing, and finally she's raped and she's a pretty young girl. She's only about 12 and she now is on her own hiding and trying to survive. And then during it she reflects back on conversations that, she had with her mother, you know, right after her father was taken away and her worries about her younger brother. All of this, though, you know, there's maybe about 50 pages that make up this, the entirety of this dream. And I wrote that very quickly. And then I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know where to go with it. It was like the things that were happening to her were getting worse and worse. And I wasn't sure what was meant for it. So I put it away and I didn't do anything with it. Until, you know, when I sat down to actually say, okay, I'm going to write a book now. And what occurred to me, because I really hadn't even planned it out, was that this other character, Gloria, that had been in my mind for quite some time, that this could be a dream that Gloria had. Because for a long time, I had this character, Gloria, just in my head, and what I wanted to have happen to Gloria was that she woke up one morning with a startling realization. And the whole rest of the story would be sort of how that realization changed her life or what happened because of it. And my first take on that story was that she woke up one morning and she knew without a doubt that she was God. And as I I had more of a a serious uh, meaning to it because... I mean, I think that, well, I think that we all are gods, so that's a whole other conversation. Yes, ma'am.
3: It's a good conversation to have, but we can have it another time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But when I started writing it about Gloria realizing she was God, it was coming out as like a funny story instead of the serious story, and that really wasn't what I wanted to do with it, but that's where it was going. You know, like she was jogging, and the dog chased her, and she said, drop dead, and the dog fell over, and So it was being more like a comedy, but that wasn't really where my heart was with it. So when I got the chance to take this week and I spent, you know, the first day of that week thinking, okay, what is it that really happened to Gloria? And then um, this whole story of earth girl. And I realized that earth girl was really a dream that Gloria had been having. And in This story of Earth Girl, Earth Girl always finds out at the very end of the dream, Earth Girl is told by these people who have rescued her, they've taken her to a hospital, she wakes up and she finds out she's pregnant. And Gloria always wakes up at that point and she's very upset and she wishes she could help this girl. But Gloria also begins to think that she herself is pregnant and she decides to find out takes a pregnancy test, and she is pregnant, and this is not good because her husband has been out of town. She hasn't had sex with him or anyone. So now totally bewildered and doesn't know whether Earth Girl is her in a past life or whether somehow she's carrying Earth Girl's baby or what is going on. And that propels the whole rest of the plot. Wow. Wow.
3: Wow!
2: There's a story for you. Well, I want to get a yeah, copy.
3: Y'all you, you read told oh, well me on it. That's
1: what every author wants to hear.
4: <laughs>
1: it's it's you know it's a really, I think the plot keeps people reading, and then I you know I had messages. Of course, I think a lot of us once we do get around to writing, we have certain messages <laughs> that we want yes, to give. We do. And And so I wanted to have a very interesting plot that would keep people guessing, and yet by the end of the book, I also would have delivered my primary messages, and I you know, I feel like pretty much I did that. So there's messages about peace, the futility of war, and messages about how um, important it is that we take care of the environment, and that's all tied in with sort of a spiritual awakening. That Gloria has and I feel for me for me being spiritual is like totally tied into feeling very much a part of nature and a part of the actual physical world that we live in okay, so well then, now, you know, you got me girl.
3: curious honey and I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you some really blunt questions because this <laughs> okay. is the first time <clears throat> we've ever had on the show a deeply spiritually rooted fiction novelist who is stumbling over the concept of spirituality. And I don't mean stumbling over the concept. I should reword that. You're stumbling over the words needed to express your spirituality. So now you've got me really intrigued, and now I really want to read the book. And I'm wondering, because you keep talking and making reference to the spiritual awakening. When did that happen to you? Because I can only guess that at some point in your life, you had a monumental aha moment. And it shifted something in you. Or were you just born this way? And this is an innate knowingness that you've had all your life. And you've just now found a way to share it because now you've really piqued my curiosity. And I hope I haven't crossed the line in asking the question, but no, I'm no, really curious.
1: Not at all. You haven't at all. And it's a question you're not the first to ask that. Since I have written this book, um, people have seen in it a spiritual, or an un- oh, like you said, I can't find the words, but sort of a spiritual sense that makes them feel that perhaps I had some sort of great spiritual awakening. Um, But it didn't really happen that way. I was raised as a Catholic, very traditional Catholic school, and I was a very religiously fanatic little girl. But as I got older, I kind of left behind all of that. I was very uncomfortable with a lot of the dogma and doctrine and repressiveness and... You know, when I was a really young child, I was taught that God is infinite, God's love is infinite, God's mercy is infinite, and then everything else I was taught about religion—right, everything else I was taught about religion contradicted that. And even as a little kid, that was a little bit of a problem for me. But by the time I, you know, was, you know, say high school, college age, it was a big problem for me, and so I kind of left behind all the, quote, religious, the sort of spiritual aspect or the spiritual yearning. And something that happened to me a lot as a child and has happened since then is something that I used to describe as a surge of joy. And it would be a feeling of just being completely and overwhelmingly joyful for no particular reason. Now, it didn't mean that I was that, all, that way all the time. I mean, I could be quite the pessimist, but I would just get these surges of joy where I felt totally connected to everyone and everything. And I wouldn't be able to say, oh, and that happened because. But I've always sort of carried that in me, knowing that if that feeling is possible at some times, it must be real, it must mean something, even though I can't always access it. So I guess that all was part of me as I went into this book, but I didn't set out to write a spiritual book. The spiritual aspects of this book were given to me, you can say from spirit, from within me, I don't know, but were given to me as I was writing it. I never, I never sat down with the plot and said, and then this spirit is going to do this or say that. But I found myself writing things that I really believe about life, and they're very spiritual. But I never planned on, it just happened. <laughs> That's not very uh, coherent, is it?
3: No, it's no, it's absolutely brilliant. What are you talking about? It's not coherent. It makes perfect sense. There's this, there's this new concept on planet Earth. It's called blended beingness. It's really exciting. It's a lot of fun. And it's the realization that, as you said, it's all God. So it's all good. So anything I do in the physical is a representation of that creator, God, source. So everything I do including talking to you, drinking my wine, yes, having sex, is spiritual. Everything I do is spiritual. Everything that has ever happened on this planet has been birthed of spirit.
4: So now we just get on with living. Yeah,
1: I think that's something that I understood without articulating. I mean, that I probably have understood most of my life without articulating. Because and that's
3: the key, is moments... that you, you know this innately, that the whole purpose of coming here in physical is to live. So you, you went about living. You lived. Right. That's what you did. Right. And, and, it's perfect, and a perfect way to honor spirit is to just get about the task of living your life the best way that you possibly can. And that's blended beingness. That is being a spiritual being in having a physical experience.
1: Yes, that makes, you know, putting it in that language or, or those words makes sense. It does make sense to me. It's not exactly the way I had thought of it in those exact words, but it's the way I have felt it. If you know what the difference, I'm sure you know what I mean by the difference between thinking it and feeling it.
2: Oh, absolutely. I Yeah. Absolutely. I it's do. And now I really want to read words, your book. the exact words, the vibration of it's right, the feel of it's right, the... Yeah, what, he, what she said.
1: Um, so, so many things that you experience, or at least that I experience in life, there aren't really words for, but that could be looking at a sunset or seeing that, you know, you planted the seeds and the little shoot has come up, that, you know, that first little leaf. It's a very spiritual feeling, although I don't say to people, oh, my gosh, this is a revelation of spirit, but I feel very spiritually connected to those things because I think it's all spirit. Like you said, it's all spirit.
2: Well, and why would it feel like a revelation when it's really what our hearts have known since before we got here? It's more like remembering. Really? I feel, you know,
1: That whole thing of remembering, you know, from before this physical body, I think that a lot of of what we find in literature, what we appreciate in in literature is somebody expressing that memory, that feeling that we haven't been able to quite grasp. For me, usually it's in a story or in poetry. Um, It's there, and it just speaks to you in a way that you can't even the intensity of it but that's what it is I think
3: and that's Tapping the beauty of what that. you do see that's, and I just want you to, to recognize, like, I, I really want you to recognize and for our listeners to recognize what a beautiful, amazing creature you are that you just got it And that you don't have to talk about spirituality because why? It's all spirituality. So why do I have to put a label on it? Why do I have to put a title on it? Why can't I just write a really cool story that touches people's hearts and know that I've done the best I can do to live the life that I've lived and know that that's the whole point to this journey anyways? and to just be happy and content with that. Why do we have to have spiritual anything? So the ancient,
2: uh, because it's
3: all, it's all spirit.
2: The ancient and, Israeli and so tongue, the ancient the- Jewish tongue, that they, they didn't have words for like spiritual and physical as separate things. It was just life. In
3: ancient Hebrew, yeah, you know, ancient it was, Hebrew. there was no spirituality. That's the
2: word I was looking for, Hebrew. I knew you'd yeah. help.
3: And you just do that innately. Like That is a very precious gift that you've just offered To the world.
1: Well, that makes me feel really good. I almost don't know what to say. That's
2: pretty amazing. Overwhelming to think about. Well, don't be overwhelmed.
1: i you know, I think my biggest goal and, or you know, what you would hope for, what I hope for in writing is to touch people at that very deep level, and and to give them to open up something for them, not to give them something, but to open up something for them. And so I know that I've done that for a few people because I've gotten that response from them after they've read the book. So Yeah. That's Amen. What I would like to continue to do.
2: Amen. Well it sounds like
4: You're awesome.
1: Listening to
2: you two. Sounds like it's going on right here, right now. It is. We're ah. we're fast approaching and right at our halfway point here. Um Already? Already. Seriously? Time flies when wow. you have fun, my dear. And, um,
3: well, she's awesome.
2: So she is awesome. I, <laughs> I want to hear more about that awesomeness. Uh, but that is kind of a big bite that you just tossed out there. Uh, Jane is always good at that, throwing out the, the big thought and the small words, or, or few words. Um, so I thought it would be a good time for us to take a break. and All uh, right. And then come back and talk a little bit more about this Earth Girl person. And,
4: um, yeah, I know more about her.
2: She and and
4: cool.
2: remembering and, and touching heart to heart like that, because I just love talking about that. And, um, but I, you're talking about this wonderful gift that she's given the world. Um, so I was thinking of a particular song, Jane. Um, Were you? Yeah. Ina V has this song called She's a Miracle Walking.
3: She does have Number. it, so, you know. I think that that would be very, very appropriate for tonight's guest. Absolutely.
2: Right. So, so, uh, so, folks, we'll have a little Ena V uh, again. You can find her at enavie. That's enavie. Uh, and we hope you'll check her out. But uh, enjoy this piece. She's a miracle walking, and uh, stay with us because we'll be right back with more awesomeness. Welcome back, everybody. Again, that was our dear friend Ina V uh, with her song "She's a Miracle Walking," and I have two "She's a Miracle Walkings" tonight with me. <laughs> and hopefully, they have a "He's a Miracle Walking" with them. But um, <laughs> I had to uh, interrupt. I don't want to banter with Jean about Ina because I, I interrupted them and said, "Well, let's do this on the show." So. Um, just to catch everybody up, bring everybody around to where we are. Um, Jan, you you had asked Jean about riding flat on her back? That's right.
1: I was curious when she said that.
2: What's that all about? Okay. Continue, ladies. Have fun.
3: Okay. Um, Well, as as I was trying to explain, but I'll try not to take up too much time um, because I'm fascinated by this woman and I
4: want
3: to, show people where to get her books. I want to read it and everybody else should too <laughs> but when I wrote my first book it was really about healing some of my um, emotional scars because I'd had a lot of losses in my life regarding family members I, I have none left None, no blood relatives left no immediate blood relatives left except for my daughter and um, wow. then my second book was about really about letting go of my spiritual unbeliefs, is what I'm going to call them. Um, My misguided notions and and my misunderstanding around what spirituality and, and life is really all about. But then I got sick because I tried to do something you should never try to do. I tried to save people and the world just doesn't work that way. Because people are essentially set up to save themselves and and you can't give so much of yourself that you rob yourself of your own strength in order to provide strength for others. But being young and selfless, which is really selfish, um, I thought I was doing the right thing and I, I managed to make myself really sick. Shortly after my parents had passed away about nine years ago, I had fractured my spine. And then I'd managed to get oh. my way back to health and I was working and I was functioning and everything was good. And I'd written my first book and I'd written my second book and I was still working in the restaurant and I was going to make a film about these orphans in the Philippines. And i had put everything I had into this because I was going to save these kids. I didn't need to save them. They saved me. That's the truth of it. And you know, it's, it's right there in the first book that I wrote, but in Giving all I had to this, I forgot about my health, and so I fell at work, and I re-injured my spine, and then because of the muscle problems that I was having from the old injury, my spine got even worse, and then they diagnosed me with fibromyalgia, and I had allergic reaction to the pain medication, so I couldn't take that anymore. It was, it was a mess. Yeah, and it sounds kind of brutal. I had two- it was, but I had two really good friends in my life, um, one who we're talking to tonight, Rick, and another one um, who I would call my sensei. His name's Lucien, um, my brother, longtime friend, couple millennia-time friend, who said, why don't you write yourself back to health? So that's what I did. And my third book, which is on Amazon now, it's called Crashing Back to Earth. And um it's on Amazon and it's raw, unedited. You're not gonna get any more honest than this format for ninety nine cents on Amazon as an ebook and it basically is the journey of me writing myself back to
2: health. Wow. Well,
1: and, I'm and definitely
2: the, gonna check that out. And very raw. I, I did the Kindle I did the Kindle layout, so that'll tell you how raw it is, right there. I don't <laughs> do that really. <laughs>
1: It's funny that you would – not funny, but kind of a coincidence. My e- the e-book version of my book is $0.99 cents as a Kindle for a few more days, maybe a week. It's not up to me. It's up to the publisher, and they are doing an e-book promotion at $0.99, cents and I think it's good for about another week. So you can read my book for $0.99, cents and I can read your book for $0.99. Cents.
3: That's awesome. Which so awesome. Like if I wanted that? to go get your book – for ninety nine cents, where would I go? Can I get Let's it on go to
1: Amazon? Amazon? Yeah, and type okay. in "I call myself Earth Girl" and it'll come up up as a paperback and a Kindle. I mean, you can get it somewhere else too, but you can get it there for ninety nine cents now, or Barnes and Noble's Nook for ninety nine cents. Wherever you can get an ebook with ninety nine cents at the moment.
4: That's
1: awesome! And Jim, then- listeners. There is Jump on stuff that. in that book that people, people find very hard to read because the beginning of the book is showing, uh, I don't know what just popped into my mind, the agony and the ecstasy is that's sort of the agony part the beginning of the book. So right. there's some seeds in there that are not
4: well,
2: even,
1: beautiful to people.
2: It even comes that way it's in the, the saying, the agony comes first, and then you get the ecstasy. <laughs>
1: right, that seems to be true a lot of the time. But sometimes, now here's something to think about, the agony and the ecstasy sometimes are the same thing.
3: Ooh, she went there. Yes, she did.
2: <laughs> right on. Just from a different point of view. Yep.
1: Yeah.
2: Choice and perception. Somebody told me that once. I don't know who that was.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: Shame is self-promotion.
1: I I was, I laughed when you used that term, too, because one of the things I have found, when I wrote this, I wasn't thinking demographic, and I wasn't thinking who the agent or publisher or any of that was going to be. I was just writing. I wanted to write this story, and I wrote it. And for me, writing it was so much easier and more satisfying and more deeply fulfilling than trying to promote it. And I finding that most people who read it like it, but it's the hard thing is getting people to know it exists. So I wrote a whole blog called Shameless Self-Promotion, how all the things you have to do to get yourself out there and how silly they feel.
3: Good for you, because it does feel silly, and it irks me, irks me to no end. I could spend hours on this show promoting people's work and telling them how awesome they are. I'm perfectly content to do that. But do you think I can actually post the link to my book on my Facebook page and tell people, hey, by the way, yeah, I'm still an author. You should buy my book. Um, I just I can't bring myself to do it. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, honestly.
1: You know, I I find it very hard also. But I'm I'm older than you, so now I'm going to use the experience thing. So this older woman is saying, go ahead and do that. You need to do it because it's very uncomfortable. I find it uncomfortable and I find it uncomfortable asking people to like my page and and telling them, oh, my book's on sale now and all of that. But if you have something important to say, you have to believe that you have that important thing to say and that really you're doing people, it sounds weird, a favor, but you're opening something up for them by letting them know it's there. You have to let them know it's there. As a matter of fact, email me a link to your book and I'll put it on my page. Not that anybody looks at my page, unfortunately, but there would be a few people.
3: Well, they must be looking at something. If they're writing you to tell you that they have been touched by your writing,
1: then you're doing something right. I'm getting that on um, somebody in Australia. I don't know how she ever even knew about the book. But right when it first came out, she asked me how she could get it. And she paid me through PayPal, and I sent her a copy. And she actually sent me an email and then wrote a review on Amazon and Goodreads. You know, that's where I'm getting – how I'm hearing from people is mostly that way, from Amazon and Goodreads or from them, you know, sending me private messages on Facebook. But that's still, you know, so there's 300 people or something who – Following, but that's 300 people who will know about your book that wouldn't know about it if if we don't put it there.
3: You're awesome. See, she's awesome, Rick. There's she's just awesome. You're awesome.
2: I was thinking of telling you that she was pretty awesome, but oh, wait, <laughs> wait, <it's...
1: laughs> well, you, you guys are awesomely kind.
2: I like to I like to tease her when uh, we have you know show coming up because I know she hasn't really researched who they are. And she does the thing. We have somebody lovely that's coming along, going to do that for us. But um, uh, she forgets. There's so many of them, you know.
3: I I just think it's 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 fascinating to me that you've taken that journey that you've taken to to get to that point, um, and to be able to. Written such an incredible book, so many years after carrying it around in your heart, and I just am fascinated by that. And you're you're such an inspiration.
1: I think it it says to people that old saying, you know, it's never too late. I feel now that I can probably, if I put my mind to it, I can do a book a year. And I think I probably have about twenty books there waiting to be done. I mean, the ideas are just. There's a lot of ideas. I've been building these ideas up overall. You know, when I was raising my kids and I was a teacher and I was a single parent and I never had any time, I felt at least, like I never had any time for myself. Maybe there was a different way to do things and I would have, but I felt like I didn't. But the ideas and the desire never went away. So it was just always, well, I know I'll do this someday. I know I'll do this someday. Turning 60 made me say, well, when the heck is it going to be?
3: Right, because someday might as well be today. Why not? Why can't someday be today?
1: Right, Right. and so now, someday is now. And this, well, actually the first week in November, I'll be beginning the sequel to, I call myself, Earth Girl. And then in January, I'm going to be uh, collaborating with a young man who's a friend, well, I knew him when he was in high school. He was friendly, very friendly with my sons. But he... Um, was a victim of a hit-and-run while he was riding his bike. And he was seriously injured, and they had to remove part of his skull so that his brain would have room for swelling. And anyway, he's been through over the last three years, been through a lot, but has the most positive attitude. And he was saying that he wished he could write his story. So I said, well, let's do it together. So that's January. Is I think that that book will write itself. So um, that's what's going to happen in January. And then we'll see how long it takes me to finish the sequel to Earth Girl. I have to have that concentrated time to do it. But it will That's all
4: awesome. happen. Absolutely
2: Well, I bet you it'll be less incredible. than 60-some-odd years. Because,
3: yeah. you but,
2: know, you stored up all these treasures in your heart, and now you're pulling yeah, them out and sharing so them. Yeah, you I got plenty of right time. I was thinking about that when you were talking about the book a year, twenty books. I was like, "Well, you'll still have time left over to go to the Bahamas or Costa Rica." Yeah, right.
1: That was, maybe so, and I, that would be nice. I think that um, when I was raising my kids and when I was teaching high school, part of what, um, part of what was for me, like. With dealing with teenagers particularly, as a high school teacher, what I discovered was it was so much more important what I communicated to those kids about what they should find in themselves than anything I had to say about any subject matter. And of course, that was definitely true with my own kids. But trying to help the students recognize their potential... And it seemed like the way to do that was to believe in them before they believed in themselves because so many teenage kids really do have trouble believing in themselves. And so at the time, when I was taking a lot of time on that, it was okay for me to say, okay, I can't do what I want to do for me right now because this is what's so important right now. But I'm past that phase now, so now I can do it for me.
3: And so so only leaves me really with one one question. Now that you've done it and now that you've been through this experience, how do you feel?
1: I feel really good uh, about the writing. I feel really tremendously happy, uh, joyful, fulfilled. Promotion? I hate promotion. I You know, like what we were saying, it just feels embarrassing and, like, not what I want to be doing. But I am learning to, and it's a learning process, I am learning that if I believe my book has something worthwhile for people, then I have to be willing to do what feels embarrassing to me. It feels embarrassing to me to tell people, oh, here's my book, please buy it, but If I believe the book is worthwhile, then why should I be embarrassed to do that? That's just an ego thing I have to overcome.
3: And a good lesson for me to hear. Yeah, yeah. Take that. Yeah, it's definitely a boom, smack, smack. Listen, young one, (laughs) says the lady. Yeah, but I mean, I have the exact
1: same thing. And someone who's really helping me get through this, she's in her 30s and she is saying the things to me that I'm saying to you, you know, like, your book is important, it's valuable, it has something good for the world, and if you believe that, why don't you do whatever you can to get it out there instead of being so embarrassed about trying to promote it? It's almost like, for me, because I do have a big ego, it's like... Thinking, well okay, I wrote this book and it should be people should just find it and love it, and I shouldn't have to do anything about it. But that's not the way it works. So there's no oh, reason there's that I should. There's a lot of work it. involved.
2: They got right. you. They right. got you surrounded, Jane. Your elders and yeah. your youngers.
3: <laughs> I know. I'm outnumbered completely. I've been told. <laughs> That's awesome. I I have so so much appreciation um, for for what you've done, for the life that you've lived, for for the fact that you know. As much as we like to encourage young people now to just follow their passion, follow your dream, don't give up who you are inside to be what other people need you to be. But at the same time, I have this huge monumental respect for people who have put off their life in order to fulfill other roles in their life, like being a good mom and being able to provide for your family. Um, And and, so I have have massive appreciation for that and massive appreciation for the fact that you're standing here setting a great example for people that it, it is never too late. It's never too late. Whatever your passion might be, just follow it. Do it.
1: Yeah, and there's. I think as you get older, there's a certain freedom in, in um, just being older. Your life circumstances change. I don't feel as free as I would like to be because I still have a lot of responsibility for my mother. But that's different than raising children or teaching, and I took teaching very seriously. So I, you know, that takes a lot of time if you're going to be really dedicated to it. I don't know the the, the whole thing about you know, following your passion and not being what other people need or expect you to be. I have mixed feelings about it because I know that I could have probably written more books and been, quote, more successful had I been more focused on what I needed and then it's not really healthy to not be focused on what you need. But at the same time, when I look at my five sons and my grandkids and I say, you know, they're good people and... There were a lot of, you know, I. they came from a, quote, broken home. We were divorced. Things weren't really good for them for, you know, quite some time. I have to feel like that's what I was supposed to do. Once you bring life into the world, you're supposed to take care of it the best way you can. And that's, you know, that's what I had to do. I don't regret that at all.
2: I'm sure you don't. I
1: don't look back and, 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 and feel like I wasted that time or that it was taken away from me.
2: And as a teacher, you took on a whole new set of kids every year.
1: I really? did, and I loved it. Yeah, I was very because happy in the classroom. I wasn't happy with all the rules and regulations and all of that. But what I like to be able to oh. do is say to the kids, you know.
2: That's another show.
1: There, right. Again. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> yeah, I have... Some strong feelings about education, but if you, if your kids can have a teacher anywhere along the line, but particularly in high school, who can say to them, you know, I see in you things you don't even see in yourself yet, so let me help you bring those out. That's a great thing for a kid.
4: And that's,
3: that's exactly what awesome. Exactly what they need to hear. Uh, um, you know, well, the one thing when, that you know, the causes more. Go ahead, love.
1: No, I was just saying with all the standardized, I mean, it's worse now than when I was teaching, but with the, back then with the SATs and all the standardized testing and the ranking and the this and the that, it gives kids a sense of they're not good enough or they're not worthy enough or what they know how to do or what they excel in doesn't matter. And so, even though I was the head of the English department, I was always telling kids, "Don't worry about your s a t scores. The only thing those scores tell you is how well you do on that type of test. Don't tell you anything about what you're going to do with your life or your determination, your perseverance, your passion, the things that really make you who you are.
2: I've sort of working
1: against the right exactly I' working against. The thing that maybe a teacher, you know, traditionally is supposed to be getting kids to really worry about scores and and achievement. I was like, there's so much more to you than what a test is ever going to measure.
2: Oh, indeed. You know.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Where were you when I was going to high school? Actually, I had I had a teacher like you. Um, Who wasn't a teacher at all. He was the vice principal and his wife was my creative writing teacher. And nothing I ever gave to that woman was ever good enough, ever. Until years later, I saw her at a fundraiser and handed her a book. And she said, now, that's what I'm talking about. Because she saw me operating at this I-can-get-by level, and she mm-hmm. knew that i was capable of so much more and the only way that she could get me to push myself was to tell me that i couldn't do it right. so she 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 took the time to figure me out as a person and to figure out what would work for me
1: well, and then her
3: husband right. had yeah and then her husband had this other the other part of the job, which was to tell me how awesome I was as as a person, he was constantly just inspiring his students to be the best at whatever it was that they were the best at. It,
1: it like they had seemed to be his role. Going. <laughs> Vir- yeah,
2: virtually unrecognized.
1: Really,
2: virtually unrecognized. Brilliant. The halls of our of the schools, the high schools, the even the elementary schools, but the halls of our schools are filled with angels, almost entirely unrecognized. Uh, Because most everybody I know that has ever, you know, done something that makes them feel a success and makes them feel their value, they can trace it back to, yeah, I had this one teacher. I had this one guy.
1: That's right. That's absolutely true. All it takes is one. A lot of professional development for teachers in my later career and I actually at one point did a survey of high school seniors and asked them if there was a teacher that they remembered who had made a difference in their life and could they tell me the story. And every single kid had a story and some of the stories went back to the first grade teacher and some of them were the 10th grade teacher, but they all had a story. And then I would say to the kids, did you ever go back and tell that teacher? And most of the kids always said no. And so when I would work with teachers, I would always share that with them and say, you are doing so much good that you don't know you're doing because you don't get told. But these kids whose lives you've affected, they remember and they can tell the story. They just never realize, you know, that they ought to go back and let you know. And I think teachers...
2: Yeah, because teacher evaluations because just, don't communicate changed lives.
1: No, well, not And at all. there's
2: this at all.
3: misconception within the structure of a school. I mean, this is something else that came up recently. As a parent going into a high school, I find it to be an intimidating atmosphere. So there's this, perfe- this perception among students that the teachers are secure in themselves. They're mm-hmm. self-aware. They're infallible. They don't need to be told they're doing a good job. And it's, ex- it's the exact opposite. It's those teachers that really touch you, they're the ones who need to hear it because they're the ones that care. They need to know that they're helping, that they're making a difference.
1: Right. And they deserve yeah, to and- know it. They do, and it's it's just not in the culture of school for some reason for kids to recognize that they need it or for teachers to ever let kids know that that would be nice to hear it. Um, my youngest son hated the school he was in in eighth grade, and he just you know, would say he didn't want to go back to school. And when I would ask him why he hated it so much, he said because all of the teachers walk around looking sad and they look like they don't even like kids. And then this other school, we had school choice, and this other school that he wanted to go to, he said, in that school, the teachers walk down the hall and they talked to the kids and they looked like they enjoyed teaching. Now, I thought it was kind of profound observation that a, a building, a school can have a whole negative atmosphere or a positive atmosphere, which probably has a whole lot to do with the principal. If everybody's walking around,
2: oh, yeah. yeah, dour and worried about their next evaluation, and it's the only thing right. that matters to the principal you. is their score on their teacher evaluation, whatever. And so now, to the teacher, the only thing that matters is the scores from the kids, because that's on their evaluation. And no oh, boy, here we go. Don't don't Brian, don't like get policy. either one of us to pull our soapboxes out about education, because we're both pretty passionate. <laughs> yeah, well, we
1: could definitely. Do a whole show on that. I I could go on
2: and on. I've we we recently in had in
1: almost every state.
2: We recently had an educator from Canada on, uh, that has some ideas about the way things might ought to be, and uh, and same story except that instead of a writer, she's still channeling it in the education thing. She sings too, but. Um, on what is it Tuesday or Wednesday, Jean? Everybody gets together the same. Anyway, she, uh, she, she but
3: things and she does still write
2: much well. the same, much the same story, right, Jean? Of you know, I couldn't. I loved my kids and I loved my job, but I just couldn't stand the administration and their silly, silly rules. So let's see what we can do to fix that.
3: And we're seeing a lot more of it. I just got back from from enlisting my daughter today in distance education because same story with her. Just, you know, new high school, couldn't mesh with the vibe of the school Uh, and completely almost blew her year last year because she was not comfortable in this environment. Thankfully, there is a program that's available here to students. It's called distance education where she can do – she can finish her high school and she can do it online. She doesn't have to ever set foot in the building again and she'll still get a diploma. She'll still be eligible for post-secondary education. Um, But the women that were in the office today when I was talking to them, really impassioned by this idea of allowing young people to explore their talents and their gifts on their own level, in their own time, in their own way. And so those women are, you know, they're the ones who are kind of on the front li- lines because they're sitting on the edge of, of, I don't like the way the system works, but there has to be a solution within the system to help these kids until the system changes. And so they've found it. And there's this careful balance that they're maintaining between yes, we have to do what the government says we have to do as far as, you know, what we have to give them for material. However, we don't have to have the bells and the whistles and the, you know, get up at five, be at school by nine, get home by five kind of thing with all these bodies in this school and all this energy that has nothing to do with education and all the personal politics and the bullying issues and, and all this yucks that goes along with the high school environment and so I'm really excited taking this journey with my daughter to have discovered that there is a change occurring within the education system and yes it's sitting on the fringes of the education system but it's still a change, and it's an option for students who who need it and will benefit from it. So I I love that that's happening, and I I love being able to celebrate that, and I love that the awareness is there that these changes need to need to happen and to be brought to fruition. Really, really maybe good stuff. Maybe your
1: daughter can keep a. a- journal about what this is like for her because it might be really useful to other people as she goes through, you know, a year of this and then where she, how she feels at the end of that year. Does she want to be back in school? Does she want to stay doing this? Is there a way to have a little bit of both? You know, it seems like people who go to school are individuals and, and school is, you know, all about fitting into the box. So it sounds like this is opening up some options.
2: Right, and the only other to. option used to be to drop out. That was the only option. Right, you either do it and then you do yeah. it our way, or away with you. And you know, just listening Bye-bye. to just listening to Gene, you know, describe it. It okay. You get up at five. You be at school by nine. You get home by five. Wait a minute. That sounds like training for a job, not for a life. No.
1: Right, and that's so much of what education, unfortunately turned into was making good worker bees, so let's you know, get people regimented into that. The thing, you know, like I look back, and I feel sorry for kids who don't have a good high school experience. I loved high school. I'm beginning to think I was one of the only people in the world who loved high school, but I had fun in high school. I don't know why. I just, I liked it, but I could also see, and it was part of why I wanted to be a teacher, how bad it was for the people who didn't enjoy that type of learning or that type of atmosphere i was just happy and, you know, i was lucky that i fit into it
2: well and and,
3: and, it, and I, th- I think that that's actually a really key point is that there are some kids who really thrive in that environment and so again like it's not about completely destroying structures that have have worked for a long time it's about reworking them and perhaps providing more options and making the options available so that we can okay, embrace definitely. the diversity within humanity because not everybody learns the same way. Not everybody is passionate about the same things. Not everybody even believes the same ideas. So, you know, if we could embrace that and integrate that into our education system that it's a win-win for
1: everybody. Yeah, I think our education system would be way better if it was about working with individual difference and recognizing that and working to that potential instead of trying to get everybody to fit into the same compartment and learn the same way. And I I do think in some places they're doing a pretty good job of trying to change that. But in the U.S., with the um, emphasis on all the standardized tests, and teachers being evaluated through standardized test scores it's going in the wrong direction i
2: think
3: it'll change the young people won't have won't it much longer
2: it. <laughs> nope. and and i think that people are beginning to see just in general that you know okay that's the government supplied public education and it's like that. Well, government's acting a lot like that. They're not paying attention to what they should be paying attention to. They're paying attention to their bank accounts or their fundraising because they've got to get reelected in mm-hmm. two years or whatever it is. Right. It's very To me, it's, it feels very much the same. Is, it doesn't really matter whether you made the majority of the population happy. It, it matters whether you made these people that gave you money happy because you need to get it again because right. you've got to get reelected because this is a job. And that's just wrong. And it's just as wrong in in high school. You know, I remember I went to a private school. I was blessed to go to a private school. And, um, we had a, we had a kid that was just a musical genius. He was, he was just a prodigy. And I remember him coming and playing for our music class when he was, I don't know, eight, nine, 10, something like that. And just was a prodigy. And, he kind of was allowed to experiment with that and not be forced to look. Forget the piano for the for right now. You got to do this, and uh, right. and he's now a, a conductor. He's conducted famous symphonies all over Europe, and uh, uh, I can see, you know, in retrospect, that had he been in today's public education institutions he might not have ever been able to discover that that's who he is.
1: Yeah, that option would have been very limited to him, probably.
2: Yeah. And if you can't, you know, come on now. The 31-flavor ice cream people, they have those little bitty spoons so you can try. Because if you can't try some stuff, <laughs> you can't figure out what nice. you like, you know.
1: Yeah, well, that's that, a good analogy. That That's true. I don't know how we got it on to education. We went far afield of where we started, but I think it's all related.
2: Uh, there's only one field.
3: <laughs> it's called living. I, you're an absolutely, i be going to have to get her back, Rick. Right? Oh. You're absolutely fascinating young woman.
1: You are. You.
2: Indeed. You. Over there. Oh, Over there, thank
1: you very much. You're kind, and you're very insightful to that found me. Fascinating.
2: <laughs> <laughs> love it. I it's, love it.
4: It's funny. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so we
2: do have about 10, so, 10 15 minutes, so we want to be sure. You know, we mentioned Amazon. Go to Amazon. It's available in Kindle and all of that. But I call myself Earth Girl. If you just give it a .com, that's – there it is. I call myself Earth Girl, right? Dot You mean the... Your website? The website? The, the website yeah. for the book. And Facebook is just yeah. type in, I call myself first girl. That's what I did, and there it was.
1: Right. And yeah, it's probably the Facebook there. page is a little, little more up-to-date probably. But, you know, it's interesting. We were talking about the promotion. So I look at other authors' Facebook pages, and I think, or their blogs or their websites, and I think, I'm not doing this right. They have more pictures. They are doing... They have... They're doing something different. I do not understand promotion. I'll be the first one to
2: say. Well, I don't understand it, and I've done two and a half years of research on it, trying to figure out how to promote the radio show, and uh, trying to figure out what gets it going on Facebook. And it's goofy. It's just goofy. Okay, but they do. They you get somebody. I, I get a picture with a with my dog and a quote. I five hundred people will share that, but you know, a show like this that's just the juiciest of the juicy. And they're like, what? 90 minutes? Oh, yeah, no, don't have time for that.
1: <laughs> well, actually, this is the thing you said about the dog is if it's a picture of a cat or a dog, any animal thing seems to get all kinds of recognition. So maybe that speaks to something about how really closely aligned humans are to animals, and maybe there's something profound there.
2: Oh, I because
1: the animal creatures definitely because they get a lot of notice
2: well, they be what they be, you know and and they don't much you know dogs will get a little twisted up by their owner's psychology, but the the even cats but particularly the you know I posted a picture of monkeys the other day, and it was a horrible picture. I guess it's been a couple of months ago angie huh, uh I have these monkey, this <laughs> troop of monkeys that comes by at five thirty every morning for coffee i say they don't drink coffee but um <laughs> and that that was one of the biggest posts that i think i ever made and it was a kind of out of focus crappy picture of a monkey but they were yeah, like we rick, are
1: fascinated rick. by those other...
2: rick saw a real we're monkeys
1: fascinated yeah by our kindred spirits in the animal world
2: yeah i, I think, think it is that I think it's that truth, that purity, that they just don't, you know... I mean, these white-faced capuchin monkeys, you try to get them to do something that they don't want to do, they just throw something at you. They don't bother to talk to you, they just throw something at you.
1: But look at like how domesticated animals, like dogs, how much they care about the people who love them and how much they mean to the people who love them. I think the relationships between dogs and humans... It's absolutely fascinating.
2: Oh, indeed. We could do a whole show about that because they, they do. They're amazing companions. and uh,
1: Yeah, there is so much love that goes both ways in that relationship.
2: And such unconditional love from the dogs.
1: Right, absolutely. Kick
2: them through the head. They, they are 20 minutes later they're wanting to be in your lap. Wow.
1: Yeah, I, I think
2: they're teachers of unconditional love. Amen. And we could all sister. use a
3: little more of that.
2: I've been I've been saying yes, that for sure. years. And somebody finally said it besides me. Awesome. They're teachers and examples <laughs> of unconditional love. I think that's dogs' really only are. purpose. I think that's their, their thing. You know, why do we have dogs? Got to have an example of unconditional love somewhere. It wasn't going well with the people, okay. so we brought dogs. <laughs> <laughs> Right.
1: Perhaps they're far more highly evolved than we are.
2: Oh yeah, in in Obviously many ways. Obviously,
1: you haven't met my
3: Chihuahua. Oh well. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: Always exceptions to the rule, Jane. <laughs> well,
1: of course, of course, diversity. But, remember, diversity.
2: But mm-hmm. I absolutely I know how much. Gene loves little Chico. Chico's the man.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
2: Yes. He,
3: is, he he is my living example of what neurosis is. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's, he's um, how
0: did
3: how did somebody put that recently? He's my neuro. I was Jen um, who who put. He's my he's my neurotic mirror. He's there to remind me of the neurosis that's within myself, and that's that's his role <laughs>
4: so
3: that, well, that's you know, interesting. I can know what it looks like when I'm freaking out because he's freaking out all the time <laughs> <It's> just,
4: <laughs>
3: yeah, it is what it is, um, but I agree I think that I think that animals in general. Are some of our greatest and most powerful teachers if we would just be still long enough Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. listen to what they are trying to tell us.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I see that really in almost all of nature. If you just be still in nature, whether it's animals or just whatever the physical environment is, the ocean, the the mountains, the grass, the desert, whatever. There is so much life in there.
2: Ugh.
1: I used to um, I used to scuba dive, and the beautiful amount. I mean, what's under the ocean is like a whole another universe almost. That's what it looks like to me. There's so much. And that's why I guess it's. I love the ocean so much, I feel so protective of it. There's so much life there that we don't even really notice and it's I have mixed feelings about scuba diving because I love scuba diving, but I also know that if you're not really careful you're you're damaging the whole ecosystem but
2: oh I think it has some, I think it has some room, you know, depending on the intention
1: well it depends it depends uh, on how you dive if if you're yeah. somebody who's going pulls off pieces of coral and tries to trap the animals, then I'm not in favor. But if you just... Gentle and leave only bubbles, I think it's a wonderful thing.
2: It's like the jungle. You know, take only pictures and leave only footprints. Um,
1: Right, exactly.
2: And... um, But it is, I think it is a whole other world. That's where the dolphins and whales live. The other intelligent species on the planet. Yeah.
1: Ever since I was a little girl, I figured that dolphins were the most highly evolved species and that someday we'll learn from them because they've already figured out how to live without a lot of the nonsense that humans have incorporated into their lives. That's just a theory.
2: Well, excellent theory. They know how to play. Well, They do. I've been a sailor for a fair part of this lifetime and... uh, the dolphin's in the wake of the ship, you know.
1: Right. We were just out in a
2: beaming joy, like you almost can't look. It's so bright. It's just, wow.
1: My son lives in Palm Coast, and uh, he took us out in the pontoon boat the other day. And we got to a place where there were very few other boats, and all of a sudden we started seeing all of these dolphins, and they were some of them were jumping around and playing and some of them were pushing you could tell they were pushing the fish over towards the shore so that then they could get them in one spot and then work together to, to fish And it's just great watching them I really I don't know, I love dolphins
2: <laughs> I, I really do I really, I really believe that that's the the other intelligent species on the planet but yeah, the ocean I is think so, so the ocean is so foreign to us that it is almost like having, well, it's like a whole other world. I think if right. I think if humans really believe that there's other beings out in the cosmos and would like to learn to talk to them and relate to them, well, here, the dolphins are right here. Let's learn to talk and relate to them. That might go a long way. I think it would, frankly.
1: Yeah, I think so, too. And I think that probably would... With, with most you know with actually with monkeys and gorillas and they're different than the dolphins, but I think there's a lot for us to learn. From oh, us. there's
2: much for us to learn from all of them, but I think that the dolphins are, you know, you know can can think just as abstractly and artistically and all of that. You know, watching them play with bubble rings and they just almost right. kind of look at you like that. They, they, they just have this look on their face like. Are you getting it yet? Okay, watch. I'll do it again.
4: <laughs> <laughs> and
2: they're like, you know, come down, just jump around for a while. You'll feel better. And
1: uh, right.
2: And there's tremendous yeah, wisdom. I feel, I've
1: always feel like they have learned sort of the secret to just, just being in a joyful way. Maybe I'm romanticizing them, but that's what I get when I see them.
2: No, I don't think so.
3: I don't think you're romanticizing them a bit. I think you're, you're hitting on, on a hardcore truth of, of the direction, the possible direction of human evolution. Not that we're gon- all going to live in the ocean and, and blow little bubble rings, but that not too far from now, we are going to have tapped into our innate ability to just live and to stop striving for things and working for things and trying to accomplish things and wrestle that emotion to the ground because it's not good for me to be angry, we're just going to forget all that because none of it really ultimately matters at the end of the day. So I, I think that dolphins are a perfect example of where we're headed Emotionally and intellectually.
1: Right. If if humans, and I certainly am far from this, but if we could learn to eliminate struggle from our lives, because most struggle is self-imposed, I think. And it's so much of life, so much of my own life, and the lives of people around me. It's like struggle, struggle, struggle. And it doesn't need to be.
2: Well, I was informed clearly when I was a child that nothing worthwhile can be had without struggling and striving for it.
1: Well, right. I mean, Rick like we says in all... his
2: tacky announcer voice because it's tacky stuff.
1: Well, we, I think we've been raised that way. I think that that's a message that even if your own parents don't tell you that, it, it's just pervasive. And we have built our society in a way that requires struggle in order to quote, succeed. But I'd like to think that we are evolving to a new way of being.
3: I have do it on good authority that we're well underway and that there's nothing to be worried about because we're right on track.
1: <laughs>
4: so well, just sit
3: back and enjoy um, the ride because it's going to be fun. All
1: right. I will, i be happy to do that. At this stage of the game, that's all I really want to do. You know?
3: <laughs> and while you're at it find time to write more books because I want to read them
1: <laughs> well I am going to do that first week in November awesome. I'm back at work so that'll be cool I awesome. hope to, uh, to get a big chunk of this next book done that week and I do want to put your book the the link to your book on my Facebook page and encourage you I to put it absolutely. on your Facebook page
3: I will absolutely do that when I'm done the show um, tonight. I will put my book up there again um, and I will email you with the links to my stuff and you can share she's as got you wish and, and I'll send you a copy of the book.
2: She's got lots of yeah. good stuff. And we um, uh, we certainly plan to shout your name and book title from the rooftops, all the rooftops we can get. Yeah. I was going to say she's all the rooftops shared. they'll let us on, but Sometimes we sneak up on uh-huh. rooftops that they don't want us on, and we do it anyway because uh, well, we're goofy. I'm that in way.
1: favor of such things.
2: <laughs> I thought you <laughs> might. <be. laughs>
3: yeah, well, I you think were an asset, all... treasure to have on
1: the show tonight.
2: Simply well, I'm so
1: happy to have been on the show, and I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Some of the time, I felt like. This really is like just sitting out by the fire and rambling on. <laughs> I like I don't know if they know where I'm even going with this. I'm sort of free associating part of the time, but it was very enjoyable.
2: That's quite alright. We all free associate and so I think it I think it I think conversation communicates to people better than somebody with a bunch of blue index cards with questions on them. Often questions right. submitted by the person they're going to ask, so the answer is rehearsed. Right, so, ask
1: me this so that I can say the thing I want to say.
2: People's people's brilliance comes out when they just let themselves go and talk. It doesn't come out when you've practiced it, I don't believe. It's just me.
1: But. Right. No, I never, whenever I do get an opportunity to do public speaking, which I've, done for various reasons. I never write it I mean I think about what I'm going to say but I never write it ahead of time because then it it's not real anymore. It comes out all stupid. Whereas if I have a few ideas and I just talk and sort of feed off the energy of the audience it always comes out better.
2: Right on.
3: She's brilliant.
2: Genius. Well, I tell you.
3: Yeah. I think for a time we must be at time.
2: We're very flew by so far. We're very much at time, but it did fly back incredibly fast, and you certainly have to come back and talk with us again. Uh, well,
1: I would love to do that, and definitely to to stay in touch beyond being on you know beyond being on the show. I'd like to stay in touch with both of you. I know that I just became your friend on Facebook, Rick. That
2: was yep. uh, a couple and, hours uh, ago. A couple hours ago, and. Uh, I can send a friend suggest or change people to and do that. Yes. So that y'all can be okay. friends as well. Um, already. And uh because we are already, see, friends. So might as well put it on Facebook. And
4: uh, Right.
2: Uh no, it's a great way to stay connected with folks. I I love it. But um I I often say at this time of the show, "Welcome to the EC family," but it's really not welcome. It's just you know, glad to see you again. So,
3: hey, where you at, been? Yeah, <laughs> what's
2: up? What you been up to? Really, books? Really, cool. Um, and uh, we'll do it again. And of course, it, again, it's on Facebook. I call myself Earth Girl, and I call myself EarthGirl dot com, or just go to Amazon, or Barnes and Noble, or your local bookseller, and say, "I call myself Earth Girl." And when they look at you like you have ten heads, say, no, it's the title of a book, you silly.
4: <laughs>
2: <clears throat> and um, uh, do hope, too, that you'll get by our website at everydayconnection.me. Sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we got another new subscriber to our newsletter today, so I, we're actually going to have to send one, Jane. We're going to have to get with this.
3: Oh, right. bye. That's okay. Uh, I'm, in, I'm ready to start writing again, so we're, we're good to go. ready to be in
2: that mode because we have... Uh, uh, an angel of a being who's come along that's going to help us with scheduling and stuff so uh welcome to the EC family too to Jennifer
3: Yeah absolutely you are an goddess Yes Our new husband
2: going to save us from s- some stuff so we can do more stuff cuz Jean loves to make videos and stuff but when she has to spend 3 hours answering emails it's the videos out the window
3: God. I
2: management. Yeah it
4: is.
3: (laughs) It's more of a joy management issue with me. I don't like administrative duties. I like talking Uh. to people, I like writing and I like painting. But I I don't like messing around with schedules and promotions and marketing and all that stuff. So I'm just going to concentrate on doing what I'd love to do, and the universe will provide me with people to do all that other stuff.
2: There you go.
1: All right. I think that's a great idea, but make sure you put your book on your Facebook page. I will. Will
2: do. (laughs) Uh, thank you so much for your time and uh, sharing your time your talent and your treasure because these these books that are floating around in there and this one that's out are certainly treasures I can tell and uh, Mm -hmm. Jane can tell too Uh, thank
1: you so much this has been wonderful Um,
2: and we want to thank everybody for
4: definitely enjoyed
2: it thank everybody else out there in in radio land podcast land for uh, joining us um Do join us again next time. Uh, But until then.
3: To our mother, to each other, and especially to yourselves, stay connected.
2: Have a great now, everybody. Join Jane and Rick again next time. Until then visit their website at EverydayConnection.me and subscribe for news and updates. Stop by their Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash Everyday Connection and join the conversation. You can also subscribe on iTunes by searching for Everyday Connection Radio. Subscriptions are free, just like your Everyday Connection.